You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process on Thursday. Thursday, we are releasing part two. Today, we're releasing part two of our Data Rock episode with Frederic from Data Rock. And uh, the epic conversation continues. Uh, we're going to get real deep, real dark sometimes, uh, but we're going to the right places. So, like, look, I know a lot of you that listen to the show are younger. And oftentimes when you're listening to two older gentlemen talk about what it was like when they were younger, you kind of roll your eyes, right? Especially if you're really trying to fall in love with the world that you're currently living in and looking for the positivity in the world that you currently live in. And if you hear two older folks talking about, hey, this used to be better and this used to be great. Believe me, we're both conscious of this when we start to talk that way. And what I try to do, and you'll hear it on the show, I try to redefine it in such a way where I don't think our world is better than this current world. I don't think so. And when I was living in that world at that time period, there was a lot of fucking negativity in that time period as well. I think we make the most of each place as we go through. What we're ultimately saying when we you listen to this episode is that we're trying to help broaden the way that we take in art, broaden the way that we take in films, broaden the way that we listen to music, to sort of bring the joy back to it again, to sort of take all of these beautiful, the, the, the hours and the blood and the sweat and the tears and the relentless work from artists and take them off of cues, take them off of just numbers, off of rating systems, off of likes, off of views, and bring them back to what they originally meant to do which is not fuel a logo. We create work to move you. And by moving you, we move ourselves. And your response to our work changes the way we see the world. And hopefully the way that we see the world makes you think twice about how you see the world. There's something to be said about creating work. And we do it as artists selfishly because we need to in that moment. And oftentimes if the work is great, that work is defining who we are in that time period and who we are in that moment that we make it. But then that work goes on and lives in the ethos and lives in the minds and the hearts of those of you that watch them and listen to them. That work becomes timestamps for your first kiss, for the first cheeseburger that you eat, for the first time you have a beer and your dad takes one out of the cooler and you share one together, for the first time you go on vacation. These songs become those moments for you. And so my hope and I know Frederic's hope, as you listen to this episode, is that we help provide a different way of thinking. We point out a few of the things that we feel like are hindering that stuff. And we try to celebrate what it is that we love. After you listen to this episode, if you have any questions, if you want to talk specifically about bands that you love, the bands that you think that more people should know about, write to me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, or write to the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. Okay? Um, well, that's it. Man. I don't want to drag this out. We got a lot to get to. So, you know the deal. Find that comfy spot, crack a beer, you know, because Frederick, <laughs> he convinces me to crack a beer in this episode. You'll see. Come have a beer with us. Uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the deep dive into the sonic universe that is Data Rock on the brand new episode of In Love with the Process. Love is the heart Love is the heart shaped circle of life. 
I've heard the tracks on the new album, man, and they're they like I said to you when we started the show. It's yeah, it's fun. No, it is. It it's is just fun. To, it's fun to listen to, and you you feel it's like if you. I say this all the time because I love to cook, and I cook when I am not making movies. I try to cook for people, and oh wow, and my favorite thing um, when I have food or, or I eat food from someone, I always say that you can taste the mood of the person making that fucking food. Yeah. And yeah so like, I, I agree. Someone can make the most uh, meticulously, perfectly crafted fucking like uh, taste menu and tasting dish, but they can come yeah. out of an anxiety fueled fucking kitchen and you're, it's going to taste sour. It's, you're just going to taste the anxiety in it. And, yeah. And I yeah. feel that way when I listen to your new album, it's, it's no surprise. And it's great to hear the voyage that you went on to get to that point, but it's no surprise that, uh, I, it felt and tasted fun to me when I listened to that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, lo that, I love that. I, actually, I think this is the first I'm at a conversation where we went through all of these years and what I think this is, well, is the process behind this album. And well, for you to be picking that up so easily, uh, yes. or yes. Was, the, was the first thing you actually said to me on the start of this conversation. Yes. That brings me a hell of a lot of joy and happiness. That's great, man. <laughs> Thank I'm, you. I'm happy. That, like, dude, and uh, let me just say, you know, and I want to talk about the new album before we go, and I know we're, we're, we're crunching on time here, but... We're not. I, I opened the beer. I have all the time in the <laughs> I world. Can get, yeah, all right. All right. Great. Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm happy that we're having this... This is why I love doing this fucking podcast. I, I'm happy that we're having this conversation, man, because... Mm -hmm. I, 
and I've been, I've been listening to, I, I, and I, I stumbled into it, but I've been listening to Rick Rubin's new book. We, or he, yeah. It's been out for a little while. Where he talks about the creative process, and I've been really trying to examine and and to find the same struggle that I had to to be comfortable with therapy and to be comfortable with the idea of you know that becoming as important as getting massages if you're a camera operator is going to get massage mm -hmm. for your brain. Mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to get into a new place where I'm allowing myself to let creativity come first and, and to mm -hmm. allow myself to understand like, look, man, just because you think you're being fucking lazy, you're not being lazy. What you're doing is mm -hmm. you're, you're, giving your, you're, you're giving your brain a chance to decompress and you're yeah. putting yourself and surrounding yourself with people and having conversations like we're having that hopefully yeah. keep that fucking <laughs> that mythical fucking chamber in our brains open where we come up with really fun and exciting things that we want to do, you know? Yeah. I, th I, 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 so agree. And I think like, uh, you know, I remember when I was young and I started reading, um, biographies and shit and, and they, I read this, this really horrific sentence from this, there's a Norwegian jazz artist who, who unfortunately passed away when she was really young. Her name was Ratka mm -hmm. Tornaf. And if you ever want to listen to beautiful Norwegian folk jazz, you should hear an album called Fairy Tales. Okay. But, but, but she, she was amazing, but she, and, and, um, you know, very, um, uh, oh, how to put it expressive as an artist and all of that. So you would assume that she was a, she was a very like um, artistic, expressive, uh, in tune with it, like like dialed into her internal stuff to be able to express that. Is what you're saying? Yeah, or or, or impulsive and right, right, right like. Right. But but she said something because she was also, um, I think she was the head of the Norwegian Composer League, uh, and she said uh, inspiration is uh, such an overrated part of the process. What she does is she. She took the kids to kindergarten and she went to to her little studio and had office hours. Hmm. And then she picked up the kids and took them back home and made dinner. But she had, you know, she put in a good solid seven hour, seven and a half hour, eight hour, whatever she did. And, and every day she got something done, right? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's so far from sexy. That's <laughs> really not what I was hoping to read about this person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, where is all the wine and the weed and the LSD yeah. and whatnot, you know? But in a weird in a weird way, when you're younger, you know, and you're so into that, that almost becomes your fucking day job, right? You like you're clocking in and you're like, get a fucking twelve pack and let's yeah. let's get cracking. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's just a different type you know, but, of job. But but, but uh, and and kind of uh I kind of feel the same as I did when I was a kid. I think you, you, I'm sure you can do that, that she is referring to. If you, for instance, if you, you know, you, you write music for, for commercials on contract or whatever, I don't know, like Willie Nelson did in uh, Nashville. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, but, but this is what I think the, the kind of creativity that I, that I love is an observant person who walks around this planet and observes and observes and observes. And sometimes an observation takes a U-turn in your brain 
and you spew it out like something beautiful or something nasty or mm. interesting or perhaps even commercially successful. But but in order for that magic to happen, you have to have the time to not only take it in, but also but also somehow um, process process that information. Exactly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. And and to me, I th- and to me, the, the absolutely most creative p- times of of my life has been when I've had time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you're constantly touring, or you're constantly working, constantly in stress, and everybody expects you to constantly deliver. It's harder, at least I think, to be. Of course, you can work, but it doesn't necessarily mean that what you're doing is doing that magical thing where you got a lot of information in that takes an interesting U-turn in your brain and comes out as as something new and interesting, also connected to other people than yourself in your work environment. You know, I agree. I agree with you completely, man. Because back when I was back in Boston, I ended up uh, forming a company with an old friend of mine. And then we started a production company. And so I would go to work every fucking day Mm-hmm. into this production company and there were just so many outside stresses that were just consistent like it was yeah. you know we have to pay the bills for the space or here comes you know 10 o'clock would roll around and, and this record label would go we need a new music video treatment in like three fucking hours you know and so <laughs> like you're just in this game of dealing with stress and it's just all like yeah. this consistent stress stuff and it wasn't until later on where I'm like, I'm not coming to the office every fucking day. And it was a big deal where it was like, yeah. why are you not coming to the office? Do you, do you not fully committed to this? I, I can't come to the office because mm. all I'm processing as a human is all this stress, all of this stuff that's coming in. And the, the I can't think of something. I can't make something that isn't the result of that stress. So how do mm. I put myself yeah. into this? other situation another place for this how do i and then how do i feel confident and comfortable breaking what are the societal norms which i feel like covid did for everybody now yeah yeah that's exactly what i hoped we would delve into yeah 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 because how do you break those those norms to find yeah the like you said the time and the in the space to just wander through something and go like how does this make me feel and wow that's fucking fascinating and then and then the next thing you know, dude, like I, I had a situation where I had to go get um, an MRI and it was nothing serious, but I, I went into this situ- like this, this space and I just sort of went into it as a passenger, right? You go in and they make you take your clothes off. You put them in a locker. There's a guy there and he's sort of running this thing on his own. And he's like, hey, mm-hmm. we sit in this thing and they put you in a tube and are you claustrophobic? Yeah. I don't think I am. <laughs> and then they uh-huh. they feed you into this I thing. Same, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. so like I had this whole experience and it was fascinating to me. And just the sounds and I came out of there and I was like, why does it make these fucking noises? And he was like, yeah. it's these magnets. And I was inc- incredibly inspired by everything yeah. that I went through just because I had given myself, I said, look, you're not going to do shit today. You're just going to get a fucking MRI. And so just going into that without any stresses of the day or without any, what I would assume to be over, uh, over, overarching fucking responsibility. I just was like, what's the deal with this spot? And it was incredibly fucking inspiring for me being in that situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. But but if you just went to the office and then you have to have that collegial talk to some goddamn uh, advertisement uh, director who gives you like great insight on how you should do use the ring uh, light to make the wrinkles go away on a. Now you can uh, now you can hire a thirty year old model because uh, she look young even though uh, yeah. there are some wrinkles because uh, the new light technique that he came up with or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like completely. Not interesting shit at all. But then, but then, if you live a life where you where you actually have some uh, completely uh, uh, different experiences, like you go to a performance, or you go to a theater play, you go to a modern dance display, you go to a punk show, you go to uh, an interesting talk, whatever it is. Yeah. Of course, of course, that is something you take into the process, right? Yeah. And also, if you lock yourself within the limitations of one specific kind of a creative scene, uh, that becomes um, uh, self-referencing and dull and boring. Wherein, whereas if, if, you, if your creativity is the result of a multitude of different scenes and inspirations and, and, and so on, then you, it starts getting interesting, right? Yeah. And that's just it. When, for, for instance, in our case, with when, when we did the first album, I mean, what the hell is that album? It's so <laughs> odd. You know, it's not a musician's album. It's a, it's an eclectic, eclectic collection of um, alternative and popular culture references, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with the with the new album, but it was written during. COVID and uh, in the middle of Brexit and all of this with, you know, Cambridge Analytica Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and the, and the trials with Facebook and all of that. So obviously it's, it's very different to the first album because we were really snotty kids when we did that. But, (laughs) but I think, but I think uh, uh, the most interesting creatives, I think are these oddballs that end up having a very, different angle approach to what they do like for instance that film citizen kane i mean yeah i mean the guy who made that film became the first uh, now uh, orson wells was uh, the director of the royal shakespearean uh, ensemble at stratford and even when he was 24 yeah so by the time he, he made citizen kane he was already established as not not only the world's leading Shakespearean theatrical uh, actor, but also the world-leading Shakespearean theatrical artistic director. Oh, yeah, and he was huge. He was also huge in radio. He was huge for all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, the guy, so, so by the time he makes uh, uh, Citizen Kane, the guy is, he can pour so much interesting shit into that film. Like, for instance, just the way he gave liberty to the cameraman and, mm-hmm. uh, well, how they technically executed it. Because he didn't, like when you see interviews with him, he says, the reason why I said, let's just try it to cameraman and, and stuff was because he didn't know how hard it was. <laughs> he, di- he didn't have the routines, right? Yeah. So great shit comes out of not having the routines of everybody else. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and one of those routines might be not being depending on um, necessarily having having to make enough money that this is your source of income to live from. Yes. Like if there's if there's a way you can be creative uh, and spend a lot of time on being creative, but not necessarily having to 
uh, have well where the res- where the end result isn't necessarily making a profit yes but making a difference you know well no because it changes everything dude and if you if you have if you have that supplemental income if you have income uh you know like luckily i make money doing the show if you have yeah. if you have that supplemental income then any decision that you're making when it comes to the your passion which is filmmaking in my 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 world i'm not yeah. doing it out of stress i'm not sitting there like yeah. people you <laughs> music videos taught me this because music videos are one of those things where you have to break into the scene and luckily yeah. my old business partner was in a very famous hardcore band and so we had access to hardcore metal and that's where we got started but you're still mm-hmm. in this game of like I got to take this job I got to I got to establish a reputation I got to do this work and we have to get credit for yeah. this work in order for other musicians to know we exist and so yeah. you're playing that game and you're in that fucking struggle and record labels uh, as if it's new news, record labels, record labels are scumbags. And so these guys ultimately are consistently trying to save a buck, save money. And so you'll get these phone calls that are like, hey, we've got, I don't know, $3,000. We want to do a fucking music video. And you do the right. math in your head and you go, dude, I'm not going to make a fucking dime on this. And when you, no, you're not. And when no. you start, you go, well, I need to, right? This is a great opportunity because this is an artist and this is a thing. And, and mm-hmm. then- you start making these bad decisions because you're stressed out about income. I need a reputation yeah. because that's going to make me money and that's how I'm going to get it. Whereas mm-hmm. as you get older and as I'm now in the world where I only do music videos for, for people that I enjoy being around. That's it. Yes. I don't give yeah. a fuck about whether or not they're going to have a hundred thousand or a million or, or, or two million or, you know, I think our biggest video, we did the Meshuggah Bleed video, and that's got millions. It doesn't, who gives a fuck? Wow. Did you? Yeah, yeah. That was the, yeah, we oh, did Meshuggah Bleed. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, but, I mean, who gives a fuck after that? And, you know, the funny part about Meshuggah Bleed, and I think I've talked about this on the show, we love those guys, and we love those dudes. And mm-hmm. originally, when they approached us to do that video, we wrote a treatment for them that was going to be 12 levels of hell. And we were going to design this whole levels of hell thing and go through it. They yeah. apparently spent too much money on the album design. And so the amount that they had agreed to pay us or their label had agreed to pay us, they came back and said, hey, we're going to give you <laughs> less than half of what we oh, did. No. Yeah. And so we were like, well, fuck you. We're, it's only going to be three levels of hell. And so we yeah. shot that video, three levels of hell, and we had to shoot it. We shot that entire video in one studio that was like a 20 by 20 room. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, shot that whole video in there and then presented it to the band and they were on tour with ministry i think and so they were in town and the label was like the band loves the video they they love to see you they'd love to see you on the bus and and they're excited and and we were surprised because we weren't very pumped about the the video initially right and sometimes that's how it is sometimes you strike gold without knowing exactly man. yeah we we went and we showed it to them and the label guy lied to us and they hadn't seen the video and so <laughs> we walk on the bus and the guys go the guys go will you will you play it for us and we're like fuck fuck we have to watch it with them all right no and so we we put it on we play it and uh, they're silent, right? And then, oh no! Then they start speaking to each other in another language, and so yes. we're in the room and we're like, "What the fuck?" And I remember going, "Okay, guys, 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 what are we talking about?" And they go, "Ah, 
it's okay. And then like the lead singer just gets off the bus. He's depressed about it. And they all just leave and they fucking hated the video. And I remember we oh, no. we stepped off the bus and we were just like, fuck. And it was it was like so just because everything that we had been through, the label really fucked it all up and the money got all pulled away. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember and and uh we were just really depressed. And but ministry and fear factory were there, and so we're we're like, let's go on stage and fucking hang out with ministry and, and watch them play. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then months later, the video fucking goes on, becomes one of the biggest metal videos, becomes this huge yeah. thing. And the band writes us an apology letter and like, we loved it. And we're sorry. We didn't really get it. Uh, they did. Oh, wow. I think you, that's probably a first and only for Meshuga, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I hope you framed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. They, they, and Frederick and all those, they're, they're fucking great guys. So they're really mm -hmm. nice guys. And the, like his drumming is like so mathematical. It's insane. To yeah, who understands? Oh, my God. Those Swedes. I mean, what the hell? It's insanity when you watch him do it. I remember we were standing on stage at one show and we were ba on backstage watching him play and i turn to the left and right and it's all the drummers from all the bands that i loved growing up and they're yeah. just they're just yeah. looking at yeah. this guy going how the fuck does he do this i don't think anybody quite knows <laughs> but the the point of my fucking crazy story there was that you know we probably should have. I mean, I'm happy we did it, but I'm I'm happy to be in a place now where I can say no to that shit because I don't need the income. Yes, I could say because it was so stressful. Exactly, and I mean, oof, I mean, okay. So you're 45, I'm 47. We're we're entitled to have this conversation. I don't. Yes. I don't think you should have this conversation when you're 25. I mean, right. I mean, I love the fact that we. I mean, we 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 toured constantly i mean we, we toured 250 days a year man <laughs> and and I, I but we had a lot of fun but that was uh, that was uh, kind of the heaviest touring was when we when we were pretty young and we were emerging you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a lot of fun shit like um saying yes to playing in finland right and i, I remember we came to finland which is an interesting country right with mm -hmm. Uh, a very special language and uh, how Finland is perceived. We we didn't know quite what we were getting into, but we played a, f a festival. But the day before we played a festival, we played in a, a small town uh, and we were going to stay at some punks people's place and um, <laughs> we're going to play a cafe. And we come to this goddamn cafe and we realize that we're going to play a show in a window. <laughs> At a basically a, a tiny little like a coffee shop, and there was more people outside of the window who couldn't hear us than inside of the place, you know. <laughs> but that was just super fun. I loved it. Same thing. The first time we played in um, in uh, Los Angeles, it was Spaceland, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. But then because we played Sp played Spaceland, next time is you know Echoplex, and then we played you know Gibson Theater or right or. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Henry Fonda and mm -hmm. and uh, oh, I, I think we played pretty much all the places I know about in Los Angeles, including well, the Fonda. Uh, do you know? Do you know Key Club? You even play that? No. What is Key Club? It's, it's right next to right next to the Roxy, the Roxy. Okay. And Sunset. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. No. I can see. I can see what it looks like. So yes. Okay. Yeah. We played the festival downtown. We played the uh, Culture Collide and. 
That's cool. And even the outdoor stage of Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, all sorts. But anyways, everything has to start somewhere. And I think to a certain extent, it's it's very valuable to say yes to a lot of shit. But but I'm talking about the kind of shit you start saying yes to that isn't necessarily creatively rewarding or uh, beneficial to whatever project you're you're doing. Then it might be beneficial for you to have a source of income outside of your creative space where you don't have to right. say yes to things that you perhaps is wrong for you, you know? Right. Right. You're saying yes to them because they're interesting. You're not saying yes to them because it's like, fuck, if I don't say yes to this person, then I can't buy food this week and I can't. That's two completely different things, man. It is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And a lot of things that are a lot of fun won't pay anything. And yes. And when you're young, that doesn't make that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Who cares? As long as you're not losing a lot of money, which you don't have to lose, then it's okay, you know. But uh, but but anyways, what you just said earlier in the conversation was you think that COVID did that for a lot of people. It changed yes mm-hmm. the routine of a lot of people and to such a beneficial uh, extent that you can't believe it. And a lot of people around me are kind of embarrassed by the fact because they don't want to say that positive things came out of COVID because so many people, people's lives are still devastated by COVID, both yes. financially and, and even medically, right? Yes, yes. But, but for, for so many creatives, this was a gift because people broke out of so many like bad uh, treadmills or routine activities or and also questioned like, okay, what is really the value of having a surplus that you can't even it, it's no it's no difference between making an income of this or that so why are you why are you doing all these stupid things that you don't really need to right right you know right, right. and th- and then the co- the commerce then became time right because then you're just looking at it going what all right so i'm going to make all this fucking cash that i'm just going to give my landlord anyways and yeah. so then yeah. when i'm how much time did I spend doing that stuff? And why did I spend that much time? And how much time is actually spent when you follow the system, right? You do the nine to five thing that is just fucking wasted, that you're just, you're clocking in and you're not actually doing any work. You're just there because you're on the clock and you're supposed to be there. And so then you're just sort of sitting in that space going like, well, what the fuck am I doing with my time? And I think that changed when people had to start working remotely, not just artists, but like regular people. Where suddenly yeah. they're like, I only have to go to the office now two days a week or once a month. And so now yeah. you're living the life of a freelancer to a certain extent, even though you're still on salary or you're still hired by this company and you're able to better manage your time. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and, and perhaps even you start doing things that you didn't allow yourself to take off time to do. Like, like you said, you love making food, right? Yes, and, yes. and one of the great things that I've seen, because as I said, I'm, I'm 47 now. I was 45 when it, well, 44 when it hit. And, and what I saw was a lot of my friends, because you had to create cohorts, right? You could only spend so and so much time with so and so many people. And then suddenly people started getting together like we did when we were young again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we have a dinner with, uh, say you have a couple dinner with, one couple of friends. So you're four people around the table with the children and they run off and you, 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 you sit four people and you actually have a conversation for six hours or you're six people or eight people, or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, and, and now at the time of our lives, people are so different that meeting 
well, talking like this, even to your friends, you start realizing that your friends have work where you don't really know what they're what they're really doing, and then you go into depth about what they do, and you know, we start talking like we did when we were young. When you get to know a person who is from Boston or mm-hmm. or or Los Angeles, right? And that's exciting. Now it's just routine, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 uh, yeah, no, a hell of a lot of shit changed during COVID, including uh, taking back our time. I think. Yes, and and using it in a in a productive way, and and one of the things we did, for instance, with this album was instead of, you know, saving a lot of money and going to an expensive studio, we just bought a little bit of equipment and we recorded everything in our our, our rehearsal space, which is a studio rehearsal space, right? Nice, Very and that made us able to record this album over three years instead of over one month. Dude, it's huge. Huge difference. Completely different, right? And in a studio like that, you don't have a producer who cleverly says shit like, yeah, that's interesting, but I wouldn't really do that because um, (laughs) I know so much about life because they've been part of hit songs or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But in your own studio, I can just say, but I love Otto Linzo. I I love DNA. I love No Wave. I I, I love post-punk. And it's it's my time nobody is expecting me to make this album i can do whatever the fuck i want you know i I love loose fits i'm gonna quote a riff from happy mondays or whatever right Mm -hmm. but but the one thing that we did that i just have to point out is is um you shouldn't be too big headed right i mean there is limits to what you should do yourself i think yeah and it's 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 not amazingly clever to to uh, stand alone, right? So, so what we did was when we had finished everything we wanted to do, and we we basically made our own 
uh, demo mix. So we basically recorded and produced and everything ourselves, did a reference mix. Mm -hmm. And then we contacted some amazing um, people around the world that helped us finalize the album. I have to point that out. So yeah. we made it ourselves in our studio, but when we had when we were done with what we wanted to do, then we brought in the big guns, kind of. Well, that's good, because you, you allowed yourself to, to, to go through the discovery phase of it yeah. and to, and to uh, give yourself the resources and the tools that you need to find, like, those really cool sort of, you know rabbit holes to go down and 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 uh yeah. find originality and then as you enter the crafting stage you've been around long enough that you now understand the power of of going to folks that that is their discovery is the crafting stage like the people that spend all the yeah. fucking time in the world to do I, I, dude literally just happened to me yesterday as i finished doing really? okay tell me dude i finished doing the trailer yesterday i did a whole cut um, I did, I, I love working with sound and I, I got the stems mm -hmm. from my favorite artist, Big Black Delta. And, and I, I made this whole piece, the whole cut. And then at the end of it, I was pressuring myself and I said, look, it's gotta be done. I'm going to finish it. So I rough mixed it. I just rough mixed it in the space. Yeah. And in our, in our place right now, my buddy, uh, Mike Tran, who is an amazing, uh, master and mixer, he was in the back working on another film and he walked through to go to the kitchen and he's like, what are you mm -hmm. working on? And I played it and he goes, can I just sit down real quick and master this thing for you? I said, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'll just fucking, ma let me just master this fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he made yeah. it better, dude. He made it fucking so yeah, much course, better. Of course, of course. Yeah. Allow people, but I think allow people into the process at the point when you're, when you're comfortable about it, kind of, yeah. you know, Yeah. Uh, but, but also even if you let people in at the very, late time in the process they can actually do magic right yeah. let me give you a, an example so i never i mean we toured with chemical brothers many many years ago but they're called chemical brothers so <laughs> we don't we didn't really get to know them because <laughs> 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 we were called the beer brothers but okay uh, but, uh, <laughs> i get it <laughs> but but but, uh, but uh, um, we had a mutual friend um me and um and their co-producer, and because Chemical Brothers, they're very creative, but they have a they have a, a hidden weapon, and it's a guy called Steve Steve Dub, and he's kind of helped them ever since their first release, mm -hmm. uh, since they were called the Dust Brothers, mm -hmm. uh, and and he he he's a he is a kind of he's a master at coming in at the right time and doing his magic, right? And he's been doing it for a lot of different artists including uh, some of the artists that we reference on this album, like uh, Niba Eats and all sort of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so, 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 uh, so we reached out to him and we said, uh, we're totally ghetto. Uh, we don't have a major label. We don't really even have a management or anything. There is like, there is literally no funds, but uh, we have a mutual friend who his name is Mike Marsh. And, and he's been mixing, mastering our stuff since 2016. And, and I, I reached out to him and I said, um, every time I ask for a change and you say, I can't do that because it's not there, which is a, a gentle way of saying my mix is shit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, I know what that's so, like. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I, so I asked Mike Marsh, the mastering genius from, well, originally from, from a studio in London called the exchange. Uh -huh. And I asked him, okay, you know, our music so well. 
So who do you think we should reach out to, to mix our stuff? So what I want to be there is actually there when you are to master it. And he said, Steve Dubb and Mark Rankin. Uh-huh. And then, so, so I, 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 I contact, contacted Steve Dubb, who, by the way, has five Grammys for his work with Chemical Brothers. <laughs> and I said, we're totally ghetto, but we have a mutual friend who thinks we should work together. And if there's a way you can, um, well, not charge the same from us as you do from huge acts. We'd love for you to mix a lot of these songs. And he had a listen and he loved it. And he gave us a deal that we, we could uh, afford. Yep. So he was super cool. And then he, so he ended, ended up actually mixing eight of the tracks. Wow. wow. Right. So wow. We, we did everything in our own little shit basement studio, but Steve Dubb, who did fucking everything you ever heard from chemical brother, he, mm-hmm. He mixed it. You Super see? cool. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then, but, but listen to this. So once he sent me a mix and, and the day before he had called me and he said, you know, it's a little bit jangly, a jang- little bit jangly, the, the, the percussion and drum track. So he asked if it was okay to fix it a little. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, that means that he's going to move about, uh, some, some, um, wave files, so they don't, so they don't flare, you know, you have, you, you sure. can have this sound or you can have, right. Sure. Yeah. So he's just, he's yeah, syncing I, things I, up a bit. Yeah. I think it was, he thought he was just going to sync it up and I'm, I'm like, well, it's deliberately made like that because we want it to be alive and it, it might even have been moved to sound like that, but we want to work with you and we know you're great. What he's great at is he's a great sonic storyteller, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so he knows how to make the song the elements in the song that's supposed to pop, pop when they're supposed to pop, right? Yeah. So I said, sure, I, I trust in you. You're an amazing uh, guy, and please, please do. Next day, he sends me a mix with a completely new uh, beat and percussion track. Like, it's completely different. <laughs> so he, he, he just he, erased everything I did, and he just, <laughs> <laughs> he just made his own. And I, was sitting, and I was sitting with a friend, by the way, in a, in a bar in Oslo, uh-huh. and and he had some very fancy headphones, so we were checking out the mix, and I was like, I'm very confused right now. <laughs> and, 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 and and my friend was listening to it, and he knew very well my 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 own um, demo mix, yeah. and he said, Yeah, sure, it's very different, but your version sucks ass. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's hysterical! <laughs> but man, but you know, uh, kudos to you yeah. for um, you know realizing that collaboration, right? Because because yeah. you're getting over ego at that point, and you're stepping aside from ego, and you're allowing yeah. what works, and, and you're you're yeah. being receptive to yeah. new elements that are coming in to make this piece better than what it what it was. Which I'm sure your piece was great, you know what I mean. But then it's surprising you, which I think is important. What I'm always yeah. looking for as an artist is like, for when like an actor shows up and they have some uh, some cool notes or they do something on screen that fucking changes everything. And the next, you know, like your entire plan for the day is completely shifted and you're changing your shots because yeah. of a performance. That's the fun shit because. I've made I've made films and I'm sure you've made albums the same way where I've written an idea yeah. down on a piece of paper, I've storyboarded it, I've shot every fucking storyboard the exact same way that I did it. It's boring yeah. as fuck. It's boring yeah, man. to yeah. do it that way. 
No, so, I totally I hear you. But 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 of course we, we we were quite a few people who were involved in getting the result we sent to him. So it was a lot of people that had to sign off on it. And everybody agreed. He 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 was right. You know. And, and the same thing happened with the other guy who makes Mark Rankin. By the way, the other guy, Mark Rankin, he has done everything for Adele. Yeah. So he has two Grammys for Adele, but he also did like the last albums from Queens of the Stone Age, Weezer, Iggy Pop, Billy Idol, oh, no big deal. Florence and the Machine, and all this like amazing guy. Yeah, and he did the same thing. But he also actually mixed my solo album that the the live recording with the string quartet. So you won't believe it, like that the how people in within the network are so cool. I mean, they didn't charge the regular fees for us. I mean, yeah, we, we couldn't have paid it, right? But people are so fucking cool. If you live in this world and they see that you're trying to do something interesting and, and it, it, it isn't money there because you're not even trying, people are so cool and supportive, I got to say. Well, that's the know? thing, right? Because maybe they're in the situation that we've been talking about, right? Where they've, they've got supplemental income in one way or another or yeah. they've got enough income. Yeah. And, and then... I think I think here's the thing that happens with artists is that we get started in this game because we we need to, right? We love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're inspired yeah. by it. We run with it, and then there hits a point as you as you're doing this for a little while where you're like, I just want to do this. This is all I want to fucking do, and the only way I'm ever going to be able to just do this is if I make money doing this. And so then yeah. then it starts to change. Then you start to value your work monetarily you start to value your time monetarily and then that becomes something that you have to stay on top of especially if you're dealing with record yeah. labels and all these assholes that are consistently trying to undercut you and you're working on projects that you don't give a fuck about mm-hmm. and you're trying to mm-hmm. get the right money for them and then you have to go through this next transformative stage where you go mm-hmm. all right i've got money i've got supplemental income how do i get rid of all of that that i had to learn to survive for that period of time yeah and go back to the roots of yep. let's do this for fucking fun because you know that those guys know that they they're feeding on your passion they're feeding on your sense of adventure and your and your inspiration they know that mm-hmm. if they do a track for you that that's the recipe for something that's going to come out of the woodwork and no one's going to know anything and suddenly they're working with the hottest thing again because they decided mm-hmm. to go against like well fuck you I'm five hundred dollars an hour you know what I mean like they've suddenly gone back yeah. to the roots of it for the love of the work and with the I'm sure they feel the same way that we do where they're like all we want to do is work on something inspired that we love that's it yeah yeah no and I think in my case there is a there is a person that will be you know always super inspiring and that is David Byrne right mm-hmm. like 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 the way David Byrne worked his career it's just i think it's so inspiring like how he jumps back and forth between the tiniest of things to this huge things and then he really takes a risk and like even if you listen to an album like growing backwards what an amazing album but he can't have believed that that album was going to go anywhere when he made it right he just he just had to do it and and he could of course because he must be a wealthy person and all of that but but to me it's like um for instance, over the last couple of years, I, I saw David Byrne in uh, on Broadway last February. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, I was I, I was amazed. Like this is a guy who never compromised on creativity. Right. He, he's seventy years old. He's amazing. <laughs> then I see Nick Cave at a festival. He's close to seventy. I don't remember exactly how old he is, but he's close to seventy. 
He's in his A game. He's never been better. Just amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. And I saw Pharrell at the Belasco downtown in Los Angeles. Like, he's playing this little tiny baby place, the Belasco, because he loves what that scene means to a certain part of Los Angeles. Plays a tiny little show, gives us it all. You know, he's an amazing uh, entertainer still. Uh, I saw Devo the mm-hmm. other day mm-hmm. you know they're up to 75 years old in the band still amazing so i so, saw so iggy pop still fantastic still has exactly what you want him to be mm-hmm. and 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 it gives me a lot of uh hope like if you can stay true to whatever creativity that you trust in you know you can perhaps even repeat yourself perhaps that's okay you yeah, know right as long as you don't end up just being a little part of a, a machinery that pulls you around, as long as you can make the decisions, uh, the creative decisions, and where you can express something that means something to you, uh, where uh, this might be me being ridiculous, but where your friends ag- agree with you rather than your business associates. Yeah, dude, I 100%. And I'm going to hit the nail for the listeners. I'm going to hit the nail even harder on the head right now. If you can, if you can disconnect yourself from the fucking algorithm, because Mm -hmm. we live in a world right now where the out, that's what, what it's all about. It's about likes. It's about numbers. It's about uh, getting your, like, what work is it and how do I format my work in order for people to actually see my work and get Uh, the algorithms to recognize it. If we can get out of that world as artists and we can go back to creating for ourselves and for our friends, you're going to have the Iggy pops. You're going to have these folks that are, are playing 70 years from now and you're you're still going to want to go see them. And honestly have the fucking longevity to be playing 70 years from now, because if you're just playing the fucking algorithm game, you're going to be burnt out. In a few years, you're going to be no, out of the totally. game. And also, you see so many people who win the algorithm game, they also have very short-lived careers, Yeah, right? 100%. Whereas if you listen to something like uh, like uh, Sunday morning and everything, that's a classic that everybody's been listening to since it was released in, was it 68 or 69? Mm-hmm. Uh, I read this really interesting interview with, um, I don't know who it was from, from Velvet Underground, but they said, that album didn't sell anything until the mid nineties. <laughs> Did you know? I didn't know, but it didn't sell shit until the mid nineties. <laughs> it affected the hell of a lot of people, right? Because John Cale and uh, Philip Glass and all of these people were this very interesting group of people in New York city. People d- tend to forget how small it was. Mm-hmm. Now everybody thinks that uh, Robert Wilson is uh, a huge director has been doing huge plays since the beginning of his career. Uh, it wasn't like you know, you know, the Talking Heads guys and the CBGB guys and all of those guys that lived in ABC streets right. in Lower Manhattan. Like right. it was so fucking scary and war zone like, you know, yeah, tiny, 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 tiny. We years and years passed on before these amazing efforts were understood to be as ridiculously important classics as we understand now yeah but they weren't back in the days they would they totally lost the algorithm game you know yeah yeah of course they did so everything um, well not everything but so much of the amazing uh creativity that you know created super important synergies were not 
algorithm winners. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it takes years. It takes years, it takes man. Years, yeah. And so you have to be able to some somehow not be dependent on mm-hmm. working along those tracks 100% if you want to do something interesting. If everything you care about is being mega popular and making a hell of a lot of money, be my guest, but I don't understand why you don't work the stock market instead of being creative. I don't understand. It's a, it's actually a bad business move. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like if yeah. that's what you want to do, yeah. there are better ways to becoming rich than doing music, you know? Okay, it's time to take a hot second. I'm going to do them quick because there's a lot of interview to get to today. Time to take a hot second to talk about the sponsors, the people that support our show. I'm talking about the men and women that uh, love and love with the process. They love our fans. They make the gear and the equipment that we need and we love to use and the tools that don't control us. (laughs) says this guy. Um, First up, our friends over at Puget Systems. If you are in the marketplace to build yourself a new computer, why not build yourself a PC? Save yourself money. Build yourself something that is upgradable. Uh, I went and I found this company called Puget Systems. They're family-owned, Upper West Coast company. Love them. They build amazing PCs. And what's so great about Puget Systems is that they, they don't make hardware. They do the hard work, the legwork. They benchmark test all the different gear that is out there. They figure out the best configurations for a computer to work on the software that you're going to use it on. How great is that? It's not like a generic all-for-one. You could build yourself a generic all-for-one, but you can get real nerdy if you're someone that is just doing like a Pro Tools gig or you're you're trying to do a sound mixing thing or maybe you're using Photoshop or Premiere or if you're deep in the world of uh, Resolve um, these guys know it all, man. They do. And if you're going to build your own computer, let's say you don't even want to buy one from them, go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. At one point, they had a consulting thing. They might still have that where you can consult with them and do that. But they also share all of their information up there, benchmark tests and all that stuff. PugetSystems.com is a place to go if you're ready to be, if you're ready to buy yourself a brand new computer. Right. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Fujifilm. Fujifilm. We love Fujifilm, right? You've been listening. If if you're a fan of the show, you've been listening to the Fujifilm Creator Series. We talk about how this manufacturing company, this camera manufacturing company, gives a shit enough about artists that they actually finance short films and finance photo sets and all that kind of great stuff. They care. They care about the art. Um, and what I love about them is their, their cameras are the best rigs to have, right? There are a hundred different rigs out there. There are a hundred different re- reasons to use each one, but it's all about what are you going to have here in your house that is your kit, that is your regular kit that you use to test things out, to shoot B-roll. Uh, you bunch of your friends on a Sunday decide you want to shoot a short film. I love their cameras for it. And it, if you're a photographer, and you're in the situation where you're on video sets and you also have to be shooting billboard quality fucking photos using photo lights, I'm sorry, using video lights that don't really have the exposure that you need. That's why Gina and I got into it. GFX 100S, we love that camera. We've been using that for a long time now. Gina has been shooting some beautiful images with that. 
Uh, and she not only has been using the Fujifilm lenses, which have amazing autofocus capability, which really puts uh, rest assured when you're shooting in low light situations that you're actually getting the shot in focus, right? That's a big deal. Um, but also the ability to strap on lens adapters and then put like old school lenses on this large format camera. It is the shit. GFX 100S, we love this rig. Um, Fujifilm, check the links out in the description of today's episode. I also have, and the links are trackable, by the way. So it's the best way for you to let our sponsors know that you're listening. So it takes no time for you to do that. So click the link in the description of the episode and check out the refurbished link because that refurbished link oftentimes will have camera bodies and lenses up there at a discounted price. Um, and it's a lot more affordable for you. You know what I'm saying? Fujifilm, love these folks. I uh, can't say enough great things about them. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Boca Rentals. If <clears throat> Let's say you have your Fujifilm camera and you got yourself one of those PL mount adapters from adapter company. And uh, you're like, man, I want to put some anamorphics on this and see what they look like. But you're not going to own anamorphics unless you're a gear guy, right? Most people don't own that stuff. You got to make a relationship with your local rental house. And if you're here in Los Angeles, Boca Rentals is my highly suggested place to go. These guys have access to all the best lenses in the marketplace, the stuff that is being used to shot all this, to shoot all the shows that you watch, the movies that you love, the really cool, innovative lens gear and, and camera packages are all there. Uh, Boca Rentals, they have a location here in Los Angeles. They have a location in Las Vegas as well. Um, and not only are they your camera support provider out here, but they also like teach, run courses, put together events. Their Instagram at Boca Rentals is amazing for learning about stuff. I can't say enough good things about these guys either. I love them. If you go and you get some gear, take a picture of you in the rental house, send them to me uh, and let Boca Rentals know that I sent you and maybe they'll hook you up. All right. BocaRentals.com. Uh, who am I forgetting here? We got Boca, we got Fuji, we got those guys. I think that's it for today's show. That's it for today's show. I got a couple of other sponsors on, but you guys got to confirm with me. So that's what we got going for today. And as always, make sure you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Check out the episodes curated by subject material. All right. So if you want to listen to all of the chef's episodes, maybe you want to listen to Gina and my, our voyage from the East Coast to the West Coast. There's a whole series where I document what it's like coming out here, looking for apartments, packing things up, going on the road. It's a great series. You'll find all that stuff at a lovetheprocess.com. That's it. Let's get back into the epic interview with Frederic. No, but I, I mean, I hope we don't sound like boomers. We're far too young no, to be boomers. No, we're not boomers, man. We're not boomers. No, no, no. But I really, and I, and I have to say, uh, every now and then, I'm, I'm so happy to see that, you know, amazing creativity does get through. Yes. You know, something, something like the British bands, the two bands, you know, um, you know, perhaps Idols from the UK. No. They, so, okay, you have to check them out. Suddenly you have this very political and very uh, aggressive band come out of, of, of England. And not only are they amazingly, um, uh, well, interesting and, uh, and um, 
aware and uh, well I, I i just love them but they be- become actually very successful right yeah so so, so they're completely different but they're a huge band now same thing with shame to a certain extent or or uh uh mods very political duo from the uk you know so, so every now and then i hope young people see this the most interesting of artists actually get to also have uh you know mainstream cultural impact so so if that's your high, you should still chase being interesting rather than yes going for the formulated way to do it because that probably won't take you anywhere anyways. Yeah. But every now and then, these very interesting entities, they actually blow up big. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's beyond their control. It's not something that they're doing. It's, 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 it's like, you know, who was the fucking person in the advertising company in the pitch room that was like, I have this song for this Coca-Cola commercial. You don't know who that fucking person was, right? Like, who was the, the person that was like, uh, Data Rock? And, and, and that was the pitch. Mm-hmm. It Like, you just mm-hmm. don't, you don't know. And that person may have loved your stuff prior to it. I mean, I've been in the rooms for, for advertising stuff where someone mm-hmm. walks in and they're like, you know, I, I've always loved this fucking band and no one knows about this band and, you know, you know, we might be able to get a deal, but also, you know, let's put them in this thing. You, you just don't know. And and so mm. I think that yeah. if, if you're setting out and I've talked to so many artists that are, that's what their goal is, is like, I, I want to be known. I want to be a commercial person. I want to make all this money. I want to do all this stuff. Yeah. I, I really think you're banking on the wrong business if that's what you're setting into to do. No, totally. And, and just imagine all the kids that goes into the studio where some producer guy is sitting with like soft synths and pre-made sounds and perhaps like gazillion, you know, generic shit, whatever beats. And then, and then uh, what the hell, how can that be fun? But then you have fucking wet legs. They come around and they make that song, Chasse Long. Have you, have you, have you heard that I song? I haven't heard this one, no. Well, okay, so so it, it, it was this um, song released a couple of years ago. I mean, the first time I heard it, I, I, I said this is going to be huge, <laughs> but 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 it's like it's nothing there. It's it's kind of noise pop rock. It's released on Domino, and like out of the blue, this minimalistic uh, noise pop becomes like the song of the year. Yeah, and nobody could have seen it coming that's cool that is very that is cool. that is cool young band from england uh fronted by two women of course the way social media works is a very big emphasis on these mm-hmm. two women even though it's a band with three guys too which you never see mm-hmm. <laughs> of course of course but, but something like wet legs just blows up and i love it you know but the next time I hear uh, some generic EDM, whatever, I mean, who can tell the difference between these songs, you know? Well, dude, it's, yeah. And it, it, what you want to do, and I don't want to sound like a guy that's just raving about this, but what you want to do is just make sure that the audience understands what they're, what they're buying. And you look yeah. at, and we've spent years doing music videos and working with record labels. And the, the new mm-hmm. transition right now is like, with AI and with auto-tuning, they're more focused now on whether or not you're an attractive person 
than if you're a, an actual talented fucking musician. And, oh my God, yeah. and when you look at stuff, th there's nothing wrong with collaborations, but you look at a lot of these pop acts and you can do this, which is fascinating. I'm surprised that they do it on, on Spotify. You can actually go look at how many writers are on a lot of these top tracks, like how many people. Yes, the 20, it can be 20. Like huge. And and how many of these top acts don't physically <laughs> play instruments? Like how many of them don't actually do it? And so when yeah. when you're looking at what we digest, whether it's music or movies or shit that's on streaming services, we, we live in a in a cycle right now of they figured out how to make the troughs nice and wide for us pigs and they're just feeding us shit and and that's what they're no, doing it's right and every once yeah. in a while a few of the pigs go i don't want what's in this trough what's out in that field and they walk out there to that field and those real smart fucking farmers are like what are they eating over there and then they go set up new troughs around <laughs> what they're eating yeah, and so yeah. we're just trying to stay in front of it as as artists lovers of art but also just consumers and people that are looking for what's genuine like, how do you stay in front of the corporate train that that is so overpowering on the on the fucking planet right now? These guys are everywhere right yeah. now. So no, it is, and, it, and it's uh, what I feel. So because so, I have I have two children, one is fourteen and one is seventeen. Yep. And when we were young, like even in a small town like this, you could choose to be part of, say, at least fifty different kind of youth cultures. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can be part of like 10 of them. You can be a part of the animal protection group, uh, which were the same guys who were also part of environmental groups. And they coincidentally were also uh, left-wing kids, right? And, mm -hmm. and perhaps punks or techno or whatever. So, so you could have a foot in many different scenes, including skateboarding or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and there was there were so many... Uh, uh, what is the English word, but the cultural indicators, like mm -hmm. I'm this guy or that guy. And, and if you're part of that thing, then you have a shared uh, experience of fucking, you know, the cure and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, joy division or, or ministry or whatever. Right. And which also leads you to see films like uh, Tetsuo one or two or, yep. or Akira and, you know, yep. Yep. And, and you know, and then and then and then you also happen to like artists like H.R. Giger or you love uh, Egon Schiele, whatever. You read the same books. You, you you know, it's a whole set of yes of cultural references, sort of divided into a multitude of not that different yet divided subcultures, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and and back in the days, that would even sort of be differentiating what kind of pubs or clubs or venues or you know parts of the park you would hang out in you exactly know? exactly yeah i know that shit has been so much harder i think for kids because there are no fanzines now it's 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 all like it's all homogenized into one into to one such thing. a degree, you yeah. know, and and back in the days, it was like, okay, you have shit music and commercial radio, and then you have alternative music, right? Mm -hmm. But now it's all streamed on the same platforms, yeah, right, yep, yep. And 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 but just look at something like what is the biggest streaming service on the planet? No, it isn't Spotify. It's YouTube, right? So, 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 uh, regardless of how uh, mentally developed you are, if you see a low number on a music video.
you're going to think that this is irrelevant, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're honest to yourself and you, you grew up in Boston and, and your friends were perhaps metalcore guys or whatever, you, you know, metalcore isn't supposed to have the same numbers no. as Lana Del Rey, yep. you know? Yeah, no. But no, it's very hard for people, I think, to differentiate because it's just a number that's it's it's exactly the same position on the page as Lana Del Rey. I mean, it looks the same on YouTube, Spotify, whatever, right? Yeah. And for and for kids, I think that's bewildering, right? And also, they're just bombarded with all this junk on social media, so it's hard for them to be like, "Oh, I'm so bored. I'm gonna read this book," or "I'm so bored. I want to figure out uh, this or that culture." <laughs> I don't know. Like, they won't. They won't go to lengths to find music when they're bombarded with music all the time. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree man. And But you know what, though? To be positive about this, I think that what we do, what I, and I sort of take this on as a, as, a, as a mission and a task with the show. And when I was a kid uh, mm-hmm. and I was younger, I worked in a music store. It was my favorite thing to do in a music store was exactly. introduce, introduce people. Yeah. yeah, man. And so... Um, what young people love, and this is something that I found with what I've done with my experiments with my short films, people love to, to find these things off the grid. They still do. People love speakeasies. People love places that you have to go in and it's word of mouth that gets it around. Yeah. And so I I think the only thing that saves us or will save us as a culture is if we're sharing really great stuff and we're constantly finding great things or, or talking about bands that most people don't know about, or we're referencing mm-hmm. movies that, you know, once a film has been around for more than 50 years, no one really fucking gives it any credence. <laughs> and so like being able to go back and say, no, 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 no. If you like this film, let's look at the legendary films that, that set this thing up and put yourself in that position. I love yeah. that shit, man. And, and, and even myself, cause I, you know, I'm generation, I'm the tail end of generation X. So, for me, yep. going back and collecting vinyls again, and now I'm going to yep. vinyl shops and going through those albums that when I did work in a music store, those albums were failures uh, because they didn't sell as many stuff and they weren't getting the chop, mm. the the tar- yeah. the chop topping hits, whatever. But now I pick it up in a store and I play the whole album. And I go, man, this fucking album rocks. This album is amazing, yeah. and yeah. I don't have any yeah. of the preconceived marketing. Uh, bullshit that was on that album. Listening to it now, no, but I think, but but what I think when we grew up, we were very lucky, right? Because depending, perhaps a little bit on social, economical uh, things, that like mm-hmm. if you didn't have too much money, you would perhaps hang out a lot in record stores because you can listen to the albums, and then mm-hmm. uh, you you bought one album a, a month maximum because it was so goddamn expensive. <laughs> uh, and but then you befriended people, so people started copying. Uh, the albums that they loved on cassette, right? And then, yep, yep. And we sort of we build an understanding, and you want to you you want to understand your your little tribe, right? So you you start realizing, okay, so this is not cool within this tribe, and then hopefully you also develop a little bit of a personality and your individual taste. But but this but but coming into an environment where in the record store, you know, you remember how it was. If you came into a record store. 
and you picked up an album where the guy's working the thought was like a fucking stupid ass <laughs> douchebag idiot album they would tell you yes uh, yeah. oh so you're buying this you fucking schmuck you know <laughs> yes. yeah why don't you buy this too and they would hand you some ridiculous album right yes and then it was said and then they would they would they would tell you, but what you want to listen to is beneath the remains or something like that, you know? Sure. So, sure. so and, and I think that's, that's the kind of curator role that has involuntarily disappeared. Now that you don't have to the same extent as when we were young, you didn't really have, uh, an, an inf- informative curator in the record store. Like you have in playlists and shit. It, it didn't replace that kind of that voice and knowledge of a curator at a, at a record store or a radio host like John Peel or, yeah. or even Annie Mack on BBC radio one, you know, or, mm-hmm. or even, um, or what's his name in Los Angeles, the guitar player of sex pistols. He used to be a very important oh, radio host. Yeah. Steve, Jesus Christ. Steve, Steve, Steve. Uh, oh God. It's there, man. Here's the surname of the guitar player of the clash, which has always been confusing. I'm not going to Steve, know Steve. Oh, what is his name? It's embarrassing. I've been on his show twice. Steve Jones. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's Mick Jones in the clash and it's Steve Jones in. Yes. Sex pistols. Yes, 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 yes. And 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 when you have these these um, uh, amazing kind of teachers that people go, he is so knowledgeable. I will listen to him if he says this is amazing. I want to check it out. Right. Yep. Yep. So you just need a little excuse to check things out, right? And and like for instance, you have some people who who bothered to take on this role, like Elton John took on that role, right? With his radio show, he's been promoting a lot of young artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with um, with um, oh my god, what's the singer in the Clash? His name is oh my god, <laughs> we're both we're both we're yeah, both we're terrible. terrible. <laughs> but but this but the singer of the Clash who passed away recently. What's interesting about about him is that he's an ambassador's son, right? So he he and he was a folk musician until he joined the clash but anyways so his knowledge of north african and eastern european and uh, asian and whatnot music has always been like in depth sure so 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 for the last years before he passed away and everybody thought that 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 he was gone but he wasn't he, ha- he had a radio show uh, on bbc world which had millions of listeners where he promoted world music yeah right yeah this is this this is mick jones that we're talking about is it Mick Jones? No, 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 no. Or is no, it not Mick Jones? Or is it um, Joe Strummer? Is it Joe Strummer? Yeah, is, Joe Strummer. Who, by the way, played in Jim Jarmusch. Uh, uh, his uh, oh, what the hell is that film? Oh, I forget names from 1989. Um, something with Train. What is it called? Oh no! What was the movie? It's so embarrassing. Because he was really because you know Jim Jarmusch was really good at uh, at bringing in musicians, musicians right? Yeah, Waits yeah. or even uh, screaming Jay Hawkins and. Yeah, he was huge for that. And he, I think he also put on like tours and stuff or, or put on festivals at one point. Oh, he did? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that he had two watches. I want two watches too. He had one <laughs> for his home country, which I think was uh, Hungary. I'm not sure. And then one for US time. <laughs> so are we talking are We talking Mystery Train, right? Is that the movie? With Mystery him? Train, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. You got to love Mystery Train. Uh, and uh, yeah, he played in that. But I, I just think that it's so important to also 
know that we're adults. I know we don't want to admit it, but we're adults. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take on a little bit of a role as a teacher, right? Yes. Or not teacher, but a curator. Like, if if you know amazing things, don't assume other people know. Like, for instance, I, I love, you know, Cinema du Luc, you know, the French films by, um, you know, uh, Betty Blue, Diva, mm-hmm. Subway, all of those. Um, well, it's a, it's a category called Cinema du Luc. Okay. It's also called Film Chic. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I, I love those films, and I just assume everybody's seen them, but nobody's seen them. I'm, they've, they've seen them if they're our age, but but my kids, like, like they'll go, oh no, I don't want to see it. Like they don't, they, they don't want to see Star Wars. Like they, they're so bombarded with shit they're supposed to watch, yeah. so it's almost impossible for me to to bring them in and watch, you know, John Hughes films from the eighties and <laughs> stuff that I think you should see when you're a teenager. But you, you know, I think you should expect yourself from yourself to to preach the gospel of good shit instead of bad shit. Yes, you know? I agree. I agree. And but there's a trick to doing it, right? Because no one wants to hear the old guys, right? Because there's a lot of young people that I'm sure that are rolling their fucking eyes listening to me right now. But like, there, you don't want to be the old guys that are like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's it's more, it's more like setting the stage to say, hey check out this thing that I love and, mm-hmm, yeah. and, and also yeah. knowing your audience, right. Also knowing that like, you know, for me to go to a, you know, 15 year old right now with, you know, uh, it, an early Hitchcock movie that's in black and white, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably not going to stay invested in that unless yeah. I took them somewhere to see that. Unless I was like, Hey, uh, here in Los Angeles, there's this screening, Let's go have dinner and let's go have a fucking day. And then that yeah, becomes yeah. a memory fucking token for them. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's not necessarily you just sort of going, you don't know what the fuck you're talking. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not, you're not ridiculing them for it. You're. Yeah, no, but, but I just th- feel that seriously, I think we, we, uh, we might take too lightly on the fact that we are supposed to, well, people should take a little bit more responsibility perhaps. Right. Because yeah. Because yes, we are bombarded, but there is also ways to try to avoid that. And and for instance, what you're doing now is amazing, right? Uh, uh, you make sure some people that I've never met now gets to know me through our conversation. And this is the kind of yeah, this is the kind of effort more people should do in a world of bo- bombardment, cultural irrelevant bombardment. Yep. Yep. Um, and 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 one of the things I just I just don't understand how the fanzines completely disappeared because fanzines were never lucrative. No, they were never lucrative. No, you know. I just think they were. I think they were co-opted, right? So like you had you have all these ad agencies and commercial companies and and people that go in and they understand that there is a fan scene and, and I think they're just co-opting a lot of that stuff to make themselves or to make whatever product they're selling feel like it's it's more punk rock. Or make it feel like it's this, and so then next thing you know, it becomes cliche, right? Because now it's mm-hmm. on every fucking commercial for like you know Dodge vans, right? And they put some some fucking like you know punk rock song on the thing, and it, it just it it just deludes it. No, 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 no. I I, I believe you, but but uh, explain this to me. So everybody's talking about vinyl, the vinyl revolution. I'm sure there is no correlation between the add-on numbers on sold vinyl players and serious stereo sound systems 
as it is to the increased sale of vinyl. I think a lot of people buy vinyl to be nice to the artist and they never even play it because they don't even have a record player. Right? Well, maybe, dude, but it depends on where. You, look, I'll, conf- I'll of course, of course, oh, oh, of course, of course. But, 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 um, okay. So that wasn't really my point. What I was going to say was, sure, if people care about that magical product, which is, includes not only a cover but also collaboration with not only an, a, a, a graphic designer or artist or photographer, mm-hmm. but also typographer, a, a printer. Uh, a specific um, vinyl factory, a place that uh, produces a, sp- a special kind of vinyl quality, or mm-hmm. well, everything around the the, the 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 vinyl object is to such a large extent part of you know this music history, which which has a bible, and that's all the serious music magazine publications, including in depth interviews. Uh, serious reviews, uh, features, uh, you know, critical articles and all of that. Sure. That's kind of disappeared, man. I don't think there is a single person under 40 that on a regular basis buys, you know, Q Magazine, Rolling Stone Magazine, Spin Magazine and so on. No, I don't think so either. No, but those things go hand in hand because in-depth analytical pieces on recordings will point out the link between a recording and a perhaps uh, substantial change in US economy or political decisions or gentrification or whatnot, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Those kind, those kind of articles, where the hell are they? Yeah, well, they don't, you know, I mean, they don't exist. We're in a world where all the people that publish, like whatever sort of publications are still left or whatever sort of uh, th- our, uh, forums or fucking blogs or whatever the fuck it is, are one way or another are bought out and controlled. And they were when yeah. we were younger too, to a certain extent, right? There was still yeah, yeah. we were seeing that happen uh in the nineties and the and into the two thousands. But you know, the, it just came out recently with uh Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody was like Rotten Tomatoes, it can't be fucking manipulated. Oh bullshit. All these fucking all these big companies were 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 paying uh reviewers no, fifty fifty dollars a piece. Fifty dollars a no, piece. Oh, you're fucked. Tomatoes? Are you kidding? No, one hundred percent. Fifty dollars a piece to write fucking positive articles. That's why when you when I would see no. Rotten Tomato stuff, I go, "How the fuck does this have such a high rating?" And everybody's like, "Well, it's a legitimate thing. It's legitimate, legitimate." And they say that enough on the internet, and then it comes out that these larger places were were selling souls for fifty bucks a fucking art for fifty bucks a fucking review. And and so, yeah. How can you be oh honest about anything with right now when everything that we receive for information is controlled? It's all controlled. Yeah. yeah. So the, the only yeah, thing. No, I, I believe you, and 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 I think also the few times something amazing breaks through, there is very often a very um, good reason which is kind of linked to how the systems work. Right. Okay. So for instance, I'll tell you a little thing that I recently heard, and there was. Because I talked to someone who works with Sony, and they said they weren't entirely sure why they had the responsibility of LCD sound system because they're, you know, by fact they're assigned to DFA, which isn't really Sony, so they didn't quite know. And also, LCD sound system didn't really make that much money, so why mm-hmm. had priority? They didn't know. And then we kind of thought about it. Okay, so why why is LCD sound system to such a high degree 
prioritized and visible in you know kind of mainstream culture even though it's pretty weird music and i love them mm-hmm. and then i realized wait a minute um james murphy's uh mentor was david bowie mm. david bowie lived in new york city as did james murphy and david bowie's best friend was the owner of sony or the head honcho of sony mm-hmm. right so so i don't know anything about this at all i don't know and there is no conspiracy here, but it's just interesting, right? Perhaps, unfortunately, the few times beautiful shit breaks through the crap, there is a reason which is so aligned with the power structures that it's almost <laughs> yeah the opposite of inspiring. Yeah, you know? right, right, man, right. It's who knows who. <laughs> yeah, yeah but but i don't know it's like we can't give up you know we we have to believe that uh, there is still a way to break through the noise you know
I mean, look, I, I, I would say that through personal experience, and to touch a little bit on the on the vinyl thing, I would say through personal experience, what I've done, I fell out of love with music for quite some time. I fell out of love with yeah. music when uh, yeah. it was all about streams, and I just sort of was out. And I've, t- I've said the story on the show a few times, but uh, my girlfriend knew how much I-, I worked at music stores. I did music, all that stuff. And she went out yep. and bought me a-, a record player and a few vinyls. Oh. And um, she went through a friend of mine, uh, George from uh, uh, Zarface, so DJ7L. He has a record shop. And she yep. she wrote to him and said, hey, what albums would Mike be interested in? And so George curated my first grouping of albums. And so... Not yeah. only did I get a, a, a record player, but I got these albums that I had never heard before, curated by a, a friend, but also like an amazing DJ. And so yeah. I got that stuff and I went, wow, this is special again. So it, it started to feel fucking special. And then I yeah. fell down the hole again where I was like, I'm going to go to record stores. So I went to <laughs> record yeah. stores and then I, I was just hanging out in record shops and listening to the music that was playing. And then I started to hunt for specific stuff. So then- Fast forward to the show, and I started to really dive deep into synthwave, and I loved that that movement. So I was doing that, and I was yeah. finding vinyls for that. Then we would throw parties here at our house, whether it's a small dinner party, a couple folks hanging out, or it would yeah. end up being what would be just a music party. And yeah. playing vinyls for people where you have to flip them, right? You have a few yeah. tracks, you got to flip it, it you got to load yeah. it again. So everybody's focused on it. Everybody's focused yeah. on the fucking music. And then that becomes a thing where all of my friends are like, I got to buy a record player. I want to buy a record player. I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then that starts to become that little communal thing that we've been kind of bitching about that doesn't really exist anymore. And I think mm-hmm. that anybody at home is listening. You don't have to buy vinyls to do this. You can even do it with fucking Spotify if you wanted. But there's something yeah. nice about yeah, that's true. bringing attention to the fact that come to my house, have some food. And listen to the type of music that I think you're going to find fascinating. If anything, mm-hmm. it will only become a stamp for this emotional moment in your life. But yeah. you'll then yearn for that later and then start hunting yeah. for that kind of thing. And So, I, yes, I agree with you. Vinyl isn't going to rescue the fucking music industry. Well, well, it, it could because it's such a beautiful, um, you know, uh, the zenith of... Uh, presentation i think like for instance i think when you record music and at least if you're in our age group you remember how the two sides were um like how how the artist always chose a specific kind of yes. of um uh, succession in the songs that worked as one side plus one side yep, you know yep the- uh, and uh, so, so I, th- I think a lot of artists they build an, an album with an with a vinyl approach or the the way you listen to a vinyl record in in your mind right so so that's what we did with our album for sure and did pretty much with all of them uh and but but i think it's just so important to try to build kind of the cultural awareness about that same beautiful product outside of the product okay so on the on the on the on the sleeve you can read about where it's recorded, mm-hmm. uh, who plays on it, to mixed, mastered, uh, did the artwork and all of that. You can perhaps even bother to read the lyrics because they're usually printed there. Mm-hmm. You can also perhaps center yourself between two speakers and enjoy the stereo mm-hmm. experience, which every album is made in stereo, 
whereas a lot of people have a mono speaker somewhere in the corner of the room, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that whole kind of serious approach to uh, listening to the the work that all of these wonderful artists put into this product is, oh, this might be me being really dumb, but it's kind of held in the highest regards when you put on a record, a vinyl record. It's not right? you're not dumb at all. I I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Yeah, you know, but I just I just hope that there is a way to to bring that um, uh, understanding of how music is just an expression of much more than the music. Like what we we need to bring back a, a, a long form written format that is endurable for young people who aren't used to reading like we did. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think we just have to bring back, like, in general, if we're talking in the language of young folks right now, in general, those of you that are, and there's a lot of you listening to the show, those of you who are creating, like, YouTube channels and creating content, and all you do is lazily just fucking redo, like, the last YouTuber's thing on, like, here's how to open up a box of fucking goods that you got in the mail, or here's how uh, to use this piece of software the correct way. Maybe, maybe, just maybe you spend a little bit of time and energy and you start to make content out there that talks about the artists. It celebrates the art. It yeah. celebrates the process that goes into making things. And I think that people, if enough people are doing that, people will find that interesting. And if we can combat what was designed when we were younger, which was like, here are these different genres and let's label these things and put them into genres, which has now become a way of of tracking numbers, and this has now become a way, ultimately, of fueling a logo for a corporation, right? Because everybody, mm -hmm. you ask a lot of young people, what do you listen to? They go, I listen to Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> Spotify, Spotify, oh, no. Spotify isn't yeah. a fucking band, dude. <laughs> oh, no. And so yeah. what you need to do, what we need to do as artists and as appreciators of artists, not because our way is better, but just because you're, you're going to, your mind will be open. Once you start mm -hmm. processing and understanding the same way when I first saw Citizen Kane in film school and I sat there mm -hmm. and I had my brain open and I went, holy shit, someone's in charge of doing the wardrobe. Someone's in charge of doing this. I started to see all the artisans and the life decisions mm -hmm. and the life choices that mm -hmm. people made to make that art. That movie then spoke to me more, more so Blade Runner, but that movie spoke to me more because yep. of that awakening. If I saw fucking yeah. Blade Runner on some streamer top of the week fucking list, I would be like, oh, well, the effects aren't that good. It's kind of fucking dated. You know what I mean? Like you're, we just have to change the way that we ingest our food. And, you know, people like artisan beers, people like microbrews, people like chase around for the best fucking cheeseburgers that they exist in the country. People will do mm. the same thing with art and music again. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. I think so. I, I hope so. I mean. Yeah. I think so, dude. Yeah. Oh, my I, God. Dude. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are thousands of people listening to our show right now that want more. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Yes. So, like, they, they do, man. They want more. There are there hundreds and thousands of people writing to me with their three favorite horror movies because they want to be a part of an experience to see my short. Like, mm -hmm. people want more than this. And- I think it's important for us to vocalize this uh, because the yeah. corporations are very loud about uh, you know their norm that they're trying to build. Fuck them! Like I think we should be very vocal about wanting to go back to just enjoying fucking life 
in a joy yeah, heart. Yeah, number fuck, man. I mean, okay, look at something like like um, like our goddamn album. It it it's released on our own label, yep. right? So so it's a proper piece of recorded music. It it, it looks amazing. It, it, it basically nobody could have made it sound better or look better. But it's there is absolutely no commercial entities involved in this process whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yet, it's distributed in all streaming services via, um, well, the Sony-owned, but whatever. It's a co- company called uh, The Orchard now. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's always been called The Orchard, but now it's been purchased by Sony. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's an independent dis- digital distribution company. And then via a, 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 a company in Norway called Apollon Records, we also have distribution worldwide through, a, through a Red Eye in America and, and the rest of the world, which is the same distribution company as some, something like Domino, famously for you know, distributing France Ferdinand and whatnot from the UK, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Red Eye, gigantic international distribution company. In, in, in the UK and Europe, it's Plastic Head, and in Scandinavia, it's Border. I mean, our setup is solid. Like, it's in any record store that I know about. It's it's in Japan, it's in Canada, it's in Latin America. We're not even affiliated to, to any corporations whatsoever, besides the Orchard, which happens to be owned by Sony. Mm-hmm. But so, so the thing is, if... if um, if people just take control over the means, there is, you know, there is no limits to what we can do in the world right now. The, the problem is just that uh, I think people um, has been kind of led to believe in a specific version of of uh, the industry right now. They think that they can't do it by themselves, right? They think that they have to go through the yeah, because chain. because it, it it seems so big, but the reality is that there is no reason why there aren't uh, you know world famous fan scenes distributed in I mean, can you imagine how hard it was to distribute to distribute physical fan scenes back in the days? Yeah, it must have been a nightmare. Must have been a, nightmare. a nightmare, right? Yeah. But now it, there should be at least I, I don't understand why aren't there a thousand famous fan scenes out there? I, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't it understand should be either. much more than ever because it become it's become so easy to uh, to well, there is there is no cost. Uh, you don't have to produce. You don't have to ship. You don't have to, you know, uh, print and pay a lot of people to transport your shit. Like, like there is there is a lot of opportunity in the world right now where it, the world should be super differentiated, but it isn't. It's homogenized, and why the fuck? Yeah, there is no reason why it shouldn't be. And and I know what you're saying. It's very easy for the big corporations to just homogenize whatever comes along. But that's just the result of people being lazy. Because right now, it's never it's never been better time to be counterculture. It's true. Right? It, 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 well, you should think so, but it isn't. It's become kind of, it seems to be harder than ever. So I think, I don't know, it's something about the state of technology that I personally think... Uh, we're kind of letting ourselves be fooled to homogenize yes. whatever yes. 
culture we're part of because it really isn't necessarily as i said look at this goddamn album that we just released it's worldwide yeah. and we have a handful of people we work with so so yeah so i i have to say that i'm not in, entirely depressed and dark about all this <laughs> i'm just a little bit angry and upset that people let it happen yeah me too me too me too. And 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 look, I have positive I have a positive vibe on what the future of the entertainment business can be. I mean, you know, we are just coming out of our strikes. Supposedly they have made deals. Yeah. This just happened uh, supposedly yesterday or the day before yesterday. The deals have been made. We can go back to work and we're seeing Congrats. Yeah, fucking A man. Five months. And we're seeing um, you know, uh, a change in cinema. Right, you know, you've got like the Oppenheimers. You have these big movies that aren't superhero movies that are sort of coming over, and, and the audience is excited to see them. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I think that it's just don't take what we're talking about, audience, as being negative. What we're just saying is th the opportunity is there for change. And if you're bored, mm -hmm. I'm fucking bored. If you're bored, then we can make some cool new stuff. And and you don't just have to be the people that are creating these things. You don't, if you're not an artist that that can write music or do things, but you love music and you want to get music out there and you want to be a tastemaker, the options are fucking limitless for you. You can have fucking podcasts. You can do anything right now to get that stuff out. And how yeah. are you doing it? How are you spreading uh, art in a, in a healthy way to the people that yeah. you uh, no, and you, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to want to be fucking famous. Like, what kind of dinner parties mm. are you putting on? What kind of barbecues? What music are you playing when you do those events? Like, that stuff yeah, is so, yeah. important, man, because that's the stuff that sticks with people, you know? Yeah, and also, uh, also don't let yourself so easily be entertained. Like, dig, dig deep, you know? Like, for instance, something like Euphoria, and I bet a lot of young filmmakers were blown away by, oh, Euphoria is mm. so modern and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically a remake of an Israel series from 2012, <laughs> right? It's very much inspired by an Israel series from 2012. So, uh, something like House of Cards is a remake yep. of a BBC production from the late 70s. Yep. I mean, you, you need to go deep and understand um, what is the history of whatever uh, creative industry you're interested in and, and, and seeing, well, trying to understand this amazing um fountain of uh, amazing stuff instead of just letting the algorithms or not only the algorithms but also your very limited uh, environment affect too much what you see like i think we were very lucky because it was very hard to get the information that we wanted when we were, were kids so we kind of bumped into a lot of stuff that we weren't even meant to find sure. like for instance low budget horror movies and stuff right sure uh, uh, be because they were accessible, because sometimes they were so l low cost uh, that they ended up being like even sold as uh, you know uh, DVD. No, I mean um, VHS cassettes for recording over. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so we saw like tons of amazing films. We heard tons of amazing music by chance. Yeah. Whereas right now you're not exposed to anything by chance. 
you're exposed willingly by some corporate entity. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, and and being a creator that works in Hollywood, being a creative that works in Hollywood and is attempting to work in Hollywood, please do this. Because then, you know, do you think that David Fincher wanted to do remakes? Do you think these mm-hmm. folks want to, do you think Ridley Scott wants to do a Sword in the Stone fucking movie? Like literally, uh, you have all these amazing artists that are forced to have to do mm-hmm. properties and intellectual properties that are easy to sell because that's all that's being financed right now because the studios and the financiers think that you don't have the brain power to be invested in something new. And so if you yeah. are yeah. consistently out there looking and hunting and demanding for new content, new stuff, new stories, like not just new voices telling the same fucking story, what difference does that make? Like mm-hmm. go through the process of hunting and looking for new stuff and demand new stuff so that it will free yeah. us artists uh, to not have to play in these sandboxes in order uh, to get things out. And when you look yeah. at these, like Sam Raimi doing the, uh, the fucking, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, fuck, my brain just froze up. That Marvel movie that he did, um, Doctor Strange. Sam Raimi yeah. doing fucking Doctor Strange. Do that. Do you think he wants to do fucking Doctor Strange? And I know that everybody, <laughs> that these comic book fans, you're all out there going, oh, but it's amazing. Fuck you. I bet you Sam Raimi has a, like uh, 50 fucking unproduced scripts that he can't get made right now because yeah. the system yeah. seems to think that you don't have the tolerance for it. Look at, go read the articles on Guillermo del Toro and how many amazing fucking ideas that he can't get made as Guillermo Award, Academy Award winning Guillermo del Toro yeah. can't get made in yeah. cinema because- the money people think that you don't have the fucking brains to process that stuff. Oh no! Oh, this is so—it's so sad. I mean, but also, I, I think you know, it's—it's you—you should—you should, you should uh, demand of yourself to uh, look around and get inspiration from a multitude of places. Like, yeah. does everybody see? Holy toy! If you're interested in in films and you're young, do you know Yudorovsky? You know, <laughs> I do. <laughs> it, it, you know, go and fucking check it out. You know, <laughs> if you're into music, like okay, and you're into metal or, or or whatever it is, like do you go in deep and try to understand the history of this genre and what affected what? And or, or look at a goddamn library. That's how many books you should have available. How many books are available on whatever? audiobook service that you is you can easily listen to read by a famous artist uh, actor i mean sure like you know and uh, go to whatever streaming service you're interested in do you really think that you're going to find all the interesting music there no, i don't think so i don't think so same thing with the movies or series i mean you can't even find francois Truffaut anywhere you no, know no. so <laughs> no, so no. Yeah, I think you sh- you should challenge yourself to sort of go deep and find inspiration outside of the box. Yep, I agree uh, with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, dude, look, we've been talking for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you kidding? Yeah. Okay. Well, we started around nine. I had a beer, so yeah, I had a I had a nice talk. You poor thing. You you spent your entire no, dude. I love this. Notes. This is the reason to do the show, man. It's like this. This will right, be. Cool. This will be a double episode. This is going to be a two two parter episode. Oh really? Yeah, man. Okay. Um, look, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Love talking to you, man. Really did. Yeah. Me too, man. And and um, I can't say enough great things about the album. Uh, the album releases on the 29th in its fu- in its 
fullness, right? <laughs> At its completion. Yeah, no, yeah. I'll tell you something funny. We're actually doing the release party in London, and it's Jack White's joint. Oh, cool. It's some, it's some, yeah, it's something called the Blue Basement at Third Man Records, and it's presented uh, by Third Man Records and something called Soho Radio. So if anybody happens to be in plo- close proximity to London, oh, come to Soho and see us live on the release date, the 29th of September. I wish I was there. <laughs> I'm w- on a plane, man. <laughs> you should celebrate that the strike is over. Come over oh, to London. <laughs> man, I would in a heartbeat. I think I'm going to be in a film festival right then. But I would be there. Okay. I would be there. Um, I'm excited, man. Media Consumption Pyramid is the name of the album, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Pumped about it coming out on the 29th, that, which is, I think, this Friday uh, as this episode drops out. And um, great music, great fucking conversation, dude. It's always just refreshing to find a fellow artist um, that, uh, you know, I can connect with. And I, I really, really, really enjoy chatting with you. And like, likewise, brother. And, and it's so funny because, you know, the title of the album is Media Consumption Pyramid. So it goes straight <laughs> into the core of our conversation. So we didn't even have to talk too much about the album because we talked about everything the album is about. I love that. Yeah, man. And I think we'll play some music during the show and all that. So you guys um, definitely check it out. And uh, I'm, I got to wrap it up. I hate wrapping it up. I feel like we probably could have talked for another two hours, but... I appreciate it. Yeah, I think you're going to have to meet up next time I'm in Los Angeles, brother. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. We get, right, we get right, dark. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then we can talk about all the stuff that doesn't yeah, doesn't fit on the podcast yeah, when we get yeah. really uh, upset. <laughs> this ain't nothing. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. There it is, the epic conclusion to our three-hour, two-part episode with Frederick from Data Rock. Look, I already liked Data Rock. When I got started in this, I liked their music, I loved their sound, and like I said, the first thing I thought of when I listened to it is it sounds like these guys are having fun. But just to listen to the emotional journey that he's been on, and the emotional journey that this band has been on, and to have a greater understanding, right, of those bands that when you love their first few albums and then there were those albums in the middle that really don't resonate as much and they sound strange and different, maybe now after this conversation, you'll think about those albums differently, right? What did those artists go through and what were they trying to say and what were they trying to process when they released those albums? Um, yeah, man, lots of fucking great, great, great stuff. And dude, as soon as we went offline, uh, me and Frederick talked more. Like we want to hang out in person because we really, really fucking bonded on this stuff. It ah, this is why I do the show. Do you guys feel bonded to him too? Do you do you, if you have been a fan of Data Rock? Did you know all of this? Do you listen to the music differently now? Are you more connected to the music now? And why are you more connected? And those of you who have never heard of Data Rock, are you going to start listening to them now? Is this going to be a cue on your on your fucking Spotify now? And why? The power of just listening to folks, the power of going deeper, 
then what's on the queue? What's on the top 10 list? And, and, and what corporations tell us are the biggest things right now, the power of just having conversations and understanding. And then just looking at how all these puzzle pieces come together, understanding how someone gets a break, understanding that it is about who you know, but that isn't always a negative thing. It's about how you, who you allow yourself to be empathetic to or empathetic with, who you allow yourself in your life or your life right? Who you influence and then who do they influence? And then that's what gets you where you need to be. I mean, you could trace back their commercial success to them being, uh, you know, licensed for Coca-Cola commercials and licensed for movies and stuff. But at one point in time, and I mentioned it briefly on the show, there was a, an ad exec or, or a creative director or writer in an ad agency who was like, you know, what song we should get is fucking data rock. Right. And that came out of nowhere. I came out of nowhere. You can't plan for that. All you can do is be truthful and faithful to why it is that you like to make what it is that you like to make. And put it out there. Make sure that you make yourself happy. Learn how to create your own barometer on your on valuing and judging your work. I'm excited. I'm trying to learn to do the same thing. I've been doing this now for over 20 years. And I'm still learning every day and I'm still trying to rebuild myself every day as an artist. And uh, for those of you who are curious, I'm loading it up right now. So this is called Stalling for Time. Um, the book that I'm reading right now, or I'm listening to right now, is by Rick Rubin. It's The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And I found it to be very helpful with uh, my creative endeavors and my creative stuff. So... If you guys are also curious about it, you might want to find it. I'm not plugging anything. I'll say it's on a certain audiobook website. Okay. Well, that's it, man. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, another epic installment of uh, In Love With The Processes Musicians Showcase Series, I guess, uh, is what we'd call it. But um, I'm pumped, man. And I'll tell you this, man. Data Rock's going to end up on my playlist for this year. I'm pumped about their new releases. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode um, and uh, plenty of more on the way. If you're a newcomer, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check out our episodes. We've curated them by subject material. So if you just want to listen to director episodes, musician episodes, etc., etc., they're all up there. Make it nice and easy for you. And if you like this show, share it. And do me a favor. If you know someone that writes musicians' blogs, if you know someone that is out there that is a bit of an influencer when it comes to bands and they like to say that they know the most about underground bands, share this episode with them. Tell them that they should listen to this episode because I think we should reach a lot of audi a larger audience with this one. I really do. All right, that's it. I'm going to let you go. Your boy's been talking for fucking four hours this morning. Um, I appreciate you listening. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.